You're listening to the Pines Church Podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Okay, just a couple of announcements on top of the announcements, not to make it too uh, verbose, but um, the men's prayer and women's prayer, I want you to know that we pray every single Sunday morning for not only this service, but for our nation and for what God is doing in central Maine. Chris Garnett leads that up. And I just want to invite you. Maybe you just, you're watching uh, cartoons before you come to church, or maybe you're catching up on SportsCenter. But man, if I, I, I want to challenge you even and, and invite you to our prayer. Uh, it's right here. You just come an hour early, right? Is an hour early? Come an hour early at 8.30, and we meet in one of these theaters. Sometimes they push us to different theaters. And it's just a great opportunity for you to, to, to get to meet new people and to be able to exercise that prayer muscle and to be able to grow. Um, I really believe that when we are in front of Jesus, we're going to be able to see our prayer lives. And hopefully my goal is that none of your prayer lives look anemic, but that you're able to see this full prayer life of, and how it impacted and shaped and altered the course of the future, not only for individuals, but literally for regions. So please come an hour early to church, jump in there and join us as we pray for our state, our nation, and our world. Well, if you are visiting us for the very first time, we are wrapping up a series uh, titled Watch Where You Are Going. This is Lessons out of Habakkuk, um, chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. It's a very rich portion of scripture. I would encourage each and every single one of you to read it on your own. There is so much revelation. There is so much truth and value and wisdom tied into this scripture. And it's not enough just to come on a Sunday morning and read a little bit and then head out throughout your week. So I would write this down. I would post it somewhere and just meditate on it. And again, meditation isn't, don't be freaked out by that word. It's literally the digestive system of the soul. It's just taking the time to break down that scripture and inviting the Holy Spirit to illuminate it to you. So no sitting crisscross applesauce or opening up your third eye. Like you don't have to down, downward dog. You don't have to do any of those things. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read this scripture as a launch pad into our conclusion. And so we, I believe we're going to have it up on the screen. Um, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see. Everybody say watch to see. There's a difference between watching and watching to see something. See what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. That's out of the New King Jimmy Version. And so just to recap, we talked about, as we broke down this scripture, the following truths or principles. Number one, watch for the vision. Every single one of us are watching 
in the natural. When you get in your car, you're watching what the people in the uh, other side of the lane are doing, which you ever think about this, how much faith is required to drive down the road knowing that somebody is coming 60 miles an hour past you in the opposite direction, and then just that little yellow line separates you. So people that say, well, this faith thing is kind of new to me, I would actually push back and say, you exercise faith every single day, but you put it in your fellow brother and sister and not in God. And so your faith is better pointed towards him. But I digress, okay? Um, Watch for the vision. God has a vision for your life. True vision originates from God. In fact, that word vision that the writer of Habakkuk is using is is the Hebrew word chazos, which actually means to have a heavenly vision. So if you're in here, I want you to hear me. God has a heavenly vision, a divine vision for your destiny calling, for your physical body, for your finances, for your marriage, for your relationships, and you want to be able to be moving towards that heavenly vision, right? And many of us know where we're going in the natural. You know, I got to get off on exit, you know, 181. I'm going on I-95, but many of us have absolutely no clue where we're going spiritually. And the two can intersect. The decisions that you make in the natural can lead you where you don't want to be in the spiritual. But the converse is true. If you're, making, if you're steering your life towards the heavenly vision, your natural lives are going to come in alignment with the way God intended them to look. So we need to make sure that we're, looking, we're watching where we're going in the spiritual realm. Number two, write down the vision. I shared a statistic from some Harvard uh, University study that said they did a, I think it was Dr. Gail Matthews, they did, a, they did a survey and they found that people that wrote down their goals were 47% more likely to achieve them. So I just want you to think about that. Like if you write down your goal, you're halfway there. Just writing it down. And so there's an accountability portion of writing it down where other people can see it and you're inviting and there's some healthy peer pressure where people come alongside you and they say, hey, where you are you at in that rela- relation to that goal? Um, number three, review the vision. It's not enough to have this aha, you know, God moment where you get this heavenly vision. Then you take the step to write it down, but then you tuck it in your sock drawer and you never think of it Again, we have to review the vision. You know, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, um, in order to be able to hear it, we have to read it. Faith, and so, um, so we need to make sure that we're reviewing the vision that God has entrusted to us. Number four, run with the vision. Faith without works is dead. And so it's not enough to see the vision to write down the vision, to review the vision if you're not going to take steps towards the vision, okay? And so we have to make sure that we're exercising towards that regardless of how crazy it may seem and regardless if God may be leading us in this direction, we have to be obedient to walk towards that vision. In other words, you at the beginning of the year setting your New Year's resolution for 2024 saying, I'm gonna be in better shape and you haven't joined a gym, you haven't bought any weights, 
you haven't picked up Tai Bo VHS from Goodwill, okay, there's really no substance to those words. They're actually hollow, right? And so you have to take steps towards whatever that goal is. And, and lastly, and this is where we're going to kind of land the plane, is um, wait for the vision. And so I'm going to read that last portion of scripture, but out of the message version. So here we go. This vision message is a witness pointing to what's coming. It aches for the coming. It can hardly wait. And it doesn't lie. If it seems slow in coming, wait. It's on its way. It will come right on time. In all my years of being in ministry... I have found that waiting is that one common thing that we share that no one likes. You know, like some people like NASCAR and some people don't. Some people like country music and some people don't. But every one of us can come into agreement and say, yeah, I really don't like waiting. So you take that and you put us inside of a culture that we live in this microwave society where we want things now, right? We can't even wait for five seconds for our, for our internet to load. Um, it makes for an interesting recipe. So I want to talk to you over the next few minutes about waiting well. There's a way for you to wait well, and it's not sitting, crossing your legs, twiddling your fingers, okay? And so we're going to look at what the Bible says. I'm going to share four pillars. This is not exhaustive. There are many other pillars and truths that'll help you wait well, but this is a good start and it'll help you um, wait well. So waiting on God requires, and this is in no specific order, but this is a great place to start, trust. You must trust God. Trust that his timing is better than your timing, that he knows things that you don't know that he sees things that you cannot see. And trust isn't something that can be microwaved either. Trust comes from spending time in relationship with God. You can come to church every Sunday, have a perfect attendance record, but if you haven't taken time to be in relationship with God, the pastor's going to let you down. The worship pastor's going to let you down. Somebody's going to let you down and they're going to erode trust. And so your trust doesn't need to be in me per se, in a church per se, in the worship leader per se. It needs to be in God because man will let you down, but God will never let you down. He might surprise the heck out of you. He will surprise the heck out of you. But you need, to make, you need to come to a place where you trust God. Look what the Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9 out of the Amplified Version. The Lord does not delay as though he were unable to act. So this is why sometimes things don't move and happen in our timing. And is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is extraordinarily patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You have to understand you have a timeline and God has a timeline. And on God's timeline, he's doing everything within his power to make that make sure that none perish. He is patiently waiting and sending messengers to those wayward sons, to those wayward neighbors, to those wayward co-workers 
to lead them back into the family fold. So let me share a valuable lesson with you. Many of you know this, that God is never late. You've probably heard a minister say that. You probably picked up one of those weird wooden plaques at Hobby Lobby. God is never late. And you put it on there. Blessed, gathering, hopeful. Anyway, I'm not knocking those things, but it just kind of, they must be making a fortune. You just take a word out of the Bible and you put it on a piece of wood and sell it for $29.99. But you don't wait buy it at $29.99. You wait until it's 50% off at $15. Anyway, um, God is never late, and that's a good thing. He's going to show up when, he, when you need him to show up. But can I share something with you that I didn't feel like I was properly prepared for? He ain't never early either. He is not early. I wish that he was. I wish that he gave me everything that I had. I wish that he laid out the map of my life and said, and then you're going to go here, and then when you get to 25, you're going to meet Jeff, and then you're going to walk over here, and then here, and I'm like, oh, okay, I know exactly where I'm going. But God doesn't do it like that. Why? Because he wants to build that trust with you. He wants you to rely on your faith and not your natural sight. And because he sets it up like that, you have to cling to him. And by clinging to him and beholding him, you become more like him. Because if I had a map so quickly, this is what I would do to God. Even though I'd say, God, you're, you're my Lord. I've committed my life to you. Once he gives me that map, all right, now this is what I need to do. Okay, I need to go this way. And God would be behind me. And I would be set off on, on my journey. And God would be waiting patiently. When are you going to look back here? And so God knows my proclivity towards wanting control of everything. And he places me in a position where I have to be tethered to him in order to be able to excavate this vision, this calling, this destiny that he's placed on each and every single one of you. And it's an exciting journey, but you can't do it without God. You, you got to be in relationship with God. Here's, here's, here's the great takeaway. God is always on time. He's always on time. I think I've used this, uh, this analogy before, but when you're walking into JCPenney, people still go to JCPenney. When you're walking into JCPenney and they have the doors, right, they're closed, okay? And when you get out of, your parking, when you get out of the car in your parking lot, the doors are still closed. So he's not going to open them early, right? And as you walk, 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 and it seems like you're about to walk into the glass, all right, and pull a Tommy boy, all of a sudden the glass opens up. So it opens at the perfect time. That's the way God's provision comes because it requires faith. I'm going to keep on, and we all know that that door is going to open. So we have faith in JCPenney. Some of you have too much faith in JCPenney. I'm just going to go ahead and say it, okay? Quote me on that. Tweet me on that. But we don't have faith in God, and we don't move towards things because we, don't, we see that the door isn't opening, and we don't trust God. We trust what we see. That's pretty good preaching though, okay? Anyway, Romans 8.28 out of NLT. Okay, my, my mentor always used to say that. Good preaching, I'll help some of you this morning. I always felt weird saying it, but Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God causes everything to work together. God at this moment is working behind the scenes on your life. 
When I was doing keg stands in college, God saw this moment of me preaching to you. Something that my friends never could have believed. Something that I would have never received. God saw and was orchestrating people in my life to come in and some needed to come out to set me on the path that he had for me, which leads us to this very moment. Yeah, praise hallelujah. That's a new word, but I mean like praise hallelujah is right. He is intimate with every single detail of your life. The Bible says that he knows the number of hairs that are on your head. It says if you were to number the thoughts that he has for you personally, they would outnumber the grains of sand on the earth. He is constantly thinking about you, orchestrating things, working behind the scenes to set you up for your best life. And we're over here in the dark, fumbling around in the natural, trying to find where we're going. And Habakkuk is saying, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. He has a vision for you. And so we have to watch where we're going in the spiritual realm. Woo. Okay. Number two, it is, it is good. Number two, patience. Okay. The poet from the eighties and nineties had it right when he said, all we need is just a little patience. That's guns and roses. Okay. They were on to something. They were on to something. We all need patience. Now, again, this is one of those subjects about like in regards to waiting in all my years of ministry, I've heard so many people say, yeah, but I've been patient long enough. And they kind of put their hand on their head. I've been patient for so long. When you feel like you've been patient for too long, you've missed the the lesson of patience. Okay, we're in an impatient society. We get irritated when the internet takes five seconds to load. We're impulsive. We want what we want and we want it now, right? In fact, I'm just going to give you a little reasoning into why we are all deeply impatient people. I want you to, this is a rhetorical question, so just ask it to yourselves. I want you to think about and ask yourself the question, how many times have I burned the roof of my mouth by eating pizza? Think about like, you can't even wait for the pizza to cool down before you take a bite. You're like, me hungry, pizza here, pizza smell good, me eat pizza, ow, me burn mouth. You know, like, we haven't evolved that much, man. I'm talking about like, came from my leg anyway. So we're impatient people. The Bible says in the book of James, James 1, 4 out of the New King James Version, let patience have its perfect work. So patience is doing something inside of us. It's at work inside of us that you may be perfect and complete. I don't know about you, but I want to be perfect and complete. Lacking nothing. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah that those that wait upon the Lord will find renewed strength. They will run and not grow weary. Can you, uh, sometimes we just blow past these scriptures because we see them in Hobby Lobby. I want you to think about that. They will run and not grow weary. 
I watched Lamar Jackson last night for the Baltimore Ravens. And quite frankly, I have never seen another a human being be able to run like he can run. He scored four touchdowns. He was on his feet. He's a remarkable individual, maybe to the scope of something we've never even seen before. But you know what? After he scored those touchdowns, he had to catch his breath. Can you imagine running and not having to catch your breath? That's the imagery and the vision that God is trying to place inside of our hearts. Meaning, I'm going to carry you to places that your feet aren't going to be able to take you. And you're not going to have to rest and catch your breath. Because it's not about you. It's about me working in and through you. It pays to double down on patience. I know we live in a society that's like hustlers and grinders and I'm going to get mine and let's go. But maybe, just maybe, we need to stop and see what that's creating inside of our families, inside of our relationships, inside of our culture. Pause, look to God's word, and maybe, perhaps, be a little bit more patient in our pursuit of what God has placed in front of us. On the contrary, if it pays to double down on patience... It also costs doubly to be in a hurry. In fact, Carl Jung has this quote, and it, it's just, when I read this for the very first time, it just hit me between, between, between the eyes. Hurry isn't of the devil. Hurry is the devil. You think about it. Hurry kidnaps you from the present, right, and gets you to focus on the future. It robs you of all the lessons and everything that God is, and all the relationships and everything that God is trying to do in your life because you're so consumed. It's like your physical body is here, but where's your mind? A week out, a year out, an hour out, and you're missing out on the present of what God is trying to do in your life. Number three, faith. Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. If you're going to wait on God, you are going to need to exercise your faith. Now, you may ask the question, we, we kind of talked about this a little, but what is faith? Faith, out of Hebrews, Hebrews defines it. The Bible defines faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It doesn't say faith was or faith will one day be. It says faith is. Our faith is anchored in in God. And the only way the will of God can be brought from heaven to earth is by faith. The only way that you're going to walk in the fullness of the vision, the dream, the destiny, the calling, whatever label you want to give it, is by faith. That's the only way that you can pull things from heaven into earth. You need to have faith for your finances. It's not just an Excel spreadsheet. You need to have faith for your relationships, faith for your marriage, faith for your career, faith that God isn't done with you. He's just getting started. This is the only way that we receive from God. It's the only way that we can receive anything from God. Faith moves and fear freezes. Fear gets you to focus in on yourself. Faith gets you to focus in on God. And then you start to believe that all things are possible. In fact, I think I've shared this a few times, but there was a book written, I think, in the late 90s by Gary Chapman, and it talked about the five love languages. It was basically the way that we interact with one another. 
I don't even know if I remember them all, but it was like um, acts of service. Like some people just, that's their love language. They love acts of service. Some people like gifts. They love to receive gifts. Some people love um, physical touch, okay? So that's how they love to, and then some love words of affirmation. Am I missing one, babe? Is there nothing? And then the other, it's quality time. Like, keep your hands to yourself. I don't want your gifts. I just want you to be with me. Every single one of us is in a different way. So it was in my best interest to learn what Jess's um, love language was and for her to learn what my love language was. Well, if God had a love language, it would be faith, right? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. But it isn't just how, and I want you to hear this because this is so important. It isn't just how we show our love and trust for God by faith, although God does take great pleasure in our faith. Rather, we receive his love by acknowledging his faith in us, which empowers our faith and results in action. In other words, what God loves is when our faith in him champions us to excavate what God has placed inside of us. Have you ever taken the time to think about how much faith God puts in you? I read that scripture out of Romans, God's heart is that none should perish. But God's already done everything by sending Jesus on the cross. And now he's entrusted and empowered each and every single one of us to advance this gospel, to reach out to our neighbors, to reach out to our family members, to reach out to our coworkers, to share the good news, to invite them to church so that we can make it hard to go to hell for Maine, the United States, and all of the world. God put a little bit of faith in you to carry out this word. Number four is courage. And I want you to look at this word, encourage. It literally means to inspire with courage, spirit, or hope. To attempt to persuade, to spur on, to give help or patronage. So when Joshua was getting ready to go into the promised land, seven times God said to him, be strong and courageous, which shows us that encouragement is repetitive. Every single one of us need to be encouraged. Every single one of us should be encouraging others because we can see things in people that sometimes they can't see in themselves. And the power of life is in the tongue. And if we can get our eyes off of ourselves just for a moment to see the potential in someone and then speak to that potential, we can call things out in that person, not as they are, but as they could and should be. And so... Ask yourself the question, who was the last person you encouraged? And while you're asking that question, when was the last time you encouraged yourself? The Bible says that David found himself in a pretty dire situation and that he encouraged himself in the Lord. That's the King James Version. I want to read it to you out of the ESV. It said, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. Now, let me just say, okay, I went to high school too, and stoning him wasn't the same as stoning him, okay? So like, they wanted to throw rocks at him until he was dead. That's what stoning him meant. Because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And so there are times and there are moments that we have to encourage ourselves 
in God, not encourage yourself in our gift, not encourage yourself in our bank account, not encourage yourself, because why? If we encourage ourselves in our bank account, in our physical body, in our marriage, or in our career, then pride enters our heart. We're puffing ourselves up, and that is empty and hollow, and the Bible says that God resists the proud. No, we encourage ourselves in the Lord, and one of the ways that we do that is by rejoicing. I know I'm kind of moving quickly, but I want to make sure that I get, all, I get through all of this. Re, re is a prefix. It means to repeat, to take joy in the things that God has already done for you. Oh, sure, any of us can rattle off a list of all the things that are going wrong in our life, but can you create an equal list of all the things that have gone right? Of all the things that you were praying for and believing for and writing down, and then when God came through, you kind of just threw it behind you and you forgot about it. The Bible champions us to remember and to rejoice and to take joy in the things that God has already done. And by doing that, we're infusing ourselves with joy. And the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Not our experience, not our intellect, not any physical attribute that we can possess. Our strength is found in the joy of the Lord. Number five, and I'm really excited to share this one, is grit, okay? If you're going to be a Christian, you need a little bit of grit, you know, the world projects a different image of Christianity. I think I have a picture of that. When the world hears Christian, they think this guy right here. Side note, I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons growing up, but my friend that lived on the same street recorded three episodes on a VHS that I would sneak inside my room and watch. And I have to get this off my chest. I just have to repent of this. Okay, I feel so much freer now. And that's how I was introduced to the character of Ned Flanders. But can I ask you a question? What's harder, going with the current or against? It's harder to move against the current of our culture and this world. If you're going to be brave enough to dream, you have to be brave enough to fight for it. And the calling and the dream and the destiny that God has for you is going to require you to move upstream, to have a little grit, and to fight for it. I want to just share you, uh, share with you, Paul was bragging on a few of the heroes of the faith in the book of Hebrews. And I'm just going to kind of fly through this. Noah built the ark for over 100 years, herding animals, waiting on the fulfillment of God's promise. Abraham and Sarah, they lived like strangers in the land of the promise while waiting until they were well up beyond the age of childbearing for the fulfillment of God's promise. Joseph, he was sold into slavery by his brothers, accused of a crime that he did not commit, sent to an Egyptian prison before he ever saw the fulfillment of God's promise. Moses spent 40 years on the backside of a mountain with some sheep, okay? And before he ever even led the Israelites into the wilderness, before he saw the fulfillment of God's promise, and speaking of the heroes of faith, it goes on to say, time would fail me to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, and of course, Mary, the disciples, and the apostle Paul. The reason that God doesn't give us a roadmap is because many of us, if we saw beat up by your brothers and sold into slavery, right? Accused of a crime you didn't commit, we wouldn't move in that direction. We'd move in the opposite direction. And so God is asking us to require, or is requiring us to trust him. Always remember this. 
the battle, the opposition, the adversity that comes against your destiny, your calling, and is coming against you isn't against who you've been, but rather against who you are becoming. Remember Arnold Schwarzenegger in The Terminator, the T-1000 wasn't coming back because Sarah Connor was a mean waitress. Some of you probably haven't even seen that movie and that's fine if you haven't. But he was coming back about, he was coming to destroy her because who she was going to become. The enemy is threatened by the steps that you take towards God. God uses this season to prepare you for what he has prepared for you. I'm going to invite the worship team back up here. I know that I went a little long and I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to ask you to get the elements out. We're going to take communion together. We've been fasting as a body. We've been abstaining from certain things and we've been taking that time to seek the face of God. And all the while, God has been working behind the scenes on our future, on knitting our hearts together, on developing endurance, grit, patience, faith, trust, so that we can be men and women when we arrive at that destination point. We can stay there. We have the character and the integrity to maintain that level that God is trying to get us to. And so I think it's important as we fasted, as we've consecrated ourselves to take the elements together. And I, I want to I read this. This is a warning from Paul. Paul actually gave a warning before people just took the elements. We never want to do this as a route. Just, oh, this is what we do in church. We take the elements, but there, there's, a, there's a weightiness to this. Paul says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on themselves. That is why, listen, Many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. So I use that heavy statement, sobering. But I want you to understand the gravity about, of what we are about to partake in together. The Bible says that we are eating his flesh, that we are drinking his blood. In this new covenant, we are connected with him. And so the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of of me. And let us take of the bread.
In the same way, he took the cup, held it, said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink the cup together. And now I just want you to quiet your spirits. I just want you to open yourself up. If there's anything you need to let go of, now's the time to let go. To posture your heart in such a way to receive from the Lord. Father, once again, you see the sincerity of the men and women's hearts in this room. You see the thoughts that are racing through their minds, the emotions that are racing through their hearts, the issues and problems that need resolution. They need answers. God, I pray that they would entrust those areas to you. That they would fully surrender their lives to the Lordship of Jesus. The Father, you would begin to bring into focus the future that you've destined for them. That they would begin to see themselves the way that you see them. Take the wrong people out of their lives and bring the right ones in. People that will encourage them, champion them, call out the best in them, pray with them. Father, I thank you that 2024 is going to be a year like we have never seen. We don't look to our culture, to the presidential election, to the state of affairs in this world to dictate whether it's a prosperous year or a challenging year, we fix our eyes on you. And I know that there are promises that are waiting in heaven for our eyes to be turned towards you. So I pray that faith would be quickened in the hearts of every believer in this room, that trust would go deeper, that patience would be embraced that grit would be cultivated and that encouragement would roll off our tongues. And God, I pray that through every action performed, every dream realized, every word spoken, that you would receive all of the glory and all of the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Lastly, if there's anything that you've been battling and you need prayer, I want to invite you to come over to the aisle. We have our prayer coaches over there. We want to pray with you and believe alongside you. Last, one more thing. I know I keep doing this. I'm a preacher. I can't help it. It's in my blood. We have a guest minister coming next week. He is actually my pastor. He's from Massachusetts. He's been in ministry for 35 years. This would be a great service for you to invite your coworkers, your family, uh, the guy that, you know, doesn't want anything to do with church. This is a dynamic man of God. And I know that if you can just get your friends here, that their lives are going to be forever touched. So next week, I'll be here. I'm going to be here. I'll be the loudest one in the, in the congregation. But I want to invite you to invite as many people as you can. Till next time, Godspeed. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Pines Church Podcast, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.